Hey y'all, and welcome to The Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate and let's dig in. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I am so excited today to introduce you to uh, Dr. Daniel White Hodge, uh, a friend of mine who is a professor of intercultural communications in Chicago. Uh, Dan has 25 years of experience in multi-ethnic and intercultural youth work. Uh, and is the author of several books, most recently Homeland Insecurity, a hip-hop missiology for the post-civil rights context, which I cannot recommend highly enough. A fascinating book, um, and is currently awaiting publication of his next book, um, which will be out in December of this year. Uh, it's called Baptized in Dirty Water, a Gospel According to Tupac Amar- Amaru Shakur, Um that's going to be coming out in December. Um, I first encountered Dan's work a number of years ago and uh, at, listening to him talk about putting um, artists like Tupac in conversations um, with things that the church is struggling with or things that um, youth are struggling with today or are the questions that they're asking and uh, find his work to be very fascinating and um, enlightening and it, helps me ask questions in a different way than I typically would on my own. Dan is also the host of a podcast called Profane Faith, uh, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Again, uh, just welcoming and uh, inviting voices on his podcast that invite me to think about things in different ways or uh, push me to think about uh, things I don't always consider when left to my own devices. And so really working around the intersection of um, the sacred, the secular, and the profane, which he mentions in passing in our interview today. Uh, But if you listen to, I think it's either the very first episode of Profane Faith, or maybe it's the second episode of Profane Faith, he really digs into why that threefold paradigm, uh, sacred, secular, and profane, uh, really shapes his work. Uh, So I am very excited for you to hear what Dan um, has in store for us today um, around this question of what does it mean to be saved. Really enjoyed uh, getting to talk with him. Um, I got to talk to him in person because he is just in Chicago, so close enough that uh, we got to hang out a little bit. I got to meet his dogs um, and his uh, his little little cats. and uh, podcast interviews are always better when there are uh, when there are snuggles with with animals involved. Um, so yeah, enjoy this episode uh, with Dan dishing it up on the question of what does it mean to be saved. You can follow him online on Twitter um, and check out his other work, including his podcast Profane Faith on WhiteHodge.com. Um, is his website, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes. But for today, uh, enjoy this uh, dish here at the Podluck uh, with Dr. Daniel Whitehodge talking about what does it mean to be saved, particularly with an eye to the sacred, the secular, and the profane. (laughs) 
Um, you know, this is a good question. I've thought a lot about this, particularly in the last year. Well, and really since the 2016 um, election and even prior to that, my movement away from defining myself as an evangelical, having come out of the youth ministry world. I mean, I think I'm still involved with kids, but just in a completely different manner, right? Than youth pastor or, you know, young life area director. Um, and the goal there was, right, like, get kids saved, um, get them get them hemmed up and, and you know, you got to fill those green sheets out. Or actually, they were the blue sheets. So you had to send in every month to say how many kids have been saved. And people, so you would get a phone call if there wasn't the right number. So I think, you know, as we think about capitalism and, you know, Western society's push for more, a lot of that has crept into, right, salvation and what it means to be um, saved, I mean, and I think, right, I mean, you had the movie, what, back in the early 2000s with the the app title Saved uh, with Mandy Moore in it. And, you know, it's like, what does that mean, right? And I think it's just become such a a saying, like, oh, they're saved, they're saved. I was raised very fundamental in a Seventh-day Adventist background, and prior to that, I was with the Nation of Islam. So there wasn't really a sense of salvation per se, but when I became Seventh-day Adventist, there was a strong sense of salvation connected with, of course, end of, end of time and end of, you know, the apocalypse and Isaiah and Daniel and, and all, you know, all these prophetic third angel's message and revelation, um, that it became obtuse in many regards of being saved. There was a sense that you could lose your salvation and that you could backslide um, and then have to regain it. So consequently, I was baptized three times uh, as a result of that. Um, and, you know, the last one took, I, I, you know, as I tell you, it, it, it took. But, gosh, what does salvation mean now? I thought I knew it. I thought I knew what it, what it, what it meant. Um, but I think for me it means more of an ongoing relationship and an ongoing process, right? Um, I don't look at it as an event. I think that's where, right, right, particularly evangelicalism, well, Western evangelicalism gets caught up with, right? It's like the event. Let's let's get these people saved. We're going to go do homeless ministry, but we're going to preach to them first and get them all saved and, you know, do the the altar call and that whole thing. And I'll confess, I was dipped and died and raised in that. And in my rambunctious, you know, days of, being a street pastor, gosh, dog, it's, that's what I did. Um, and I don't, <laughs> it's shameful for me to even say that, but that was, that was who I was, you know, 25 plus years ago. So um, a doctorate and some degrees and books later, it's like, okay, what, is, what, is, what does salvation mean? Well, I think it's that community. I think it's in relationship. I think um, it's like what I tell folks about being woke. I, I think there's a moment of being woke in consciousness and being aware of things, but then no one is 100%. You have to learn more about whatever it is. Like, let's say you are LGBTQ, but it's like, but if you're a white, you know, cis male, right, that identifies as, you know, that, but you're gay, um, 
you may have to learn more about race and you may have to learn more about what does it mean to be white and privileged, right? In that space. I know my cousin who was, who was gay fought, you know, for a long time to get his, he was Mexican American. He fought for a long time to get his, his quilt, um, on the, the AIDS quilt that they were doing back in the nineties, you know, the quilt across America and all that, that stuff. Um, and, you know, because he was Mexican, it was like it was just difficult. And it wasn't really till he passed away of AIDS in 96 that they put his quilt on there. So it's like, you know, dealing with that type of stuff. Right. That's going to take a different level of consciousness. And I think there's different spaces. Right. That we can connect with women who can connect with, you know, those who are marginalized. Right. Because you can connect with like, oh, being a woman, being being looked at. I mean, I, we were talking about this in my class uh, just yesterday um, on sex and gender. And one of my students was like, yeah, I was just as my, on my way to class right now. I was just catcalled. So it's like there you can identify and say, OK, yeah, I got that. But I do think it's a process. And I also don't want to be one of those super woke people where it's just like, all right, you know, I'm the best and I know how to do everything, right? It's like kind of like, you know, the beef between like DeRay and, and Sean King, right? It's like, and don't get me wrong, I think DeRay put out some amazing stuff, you know, in regards to Sean King. And I think we need to investigate those types of things. But I don't want to, I don't, it, it, no one, I don't want to be a fundamentalist just on the other side, I guess is what I'm saying. And for me, that's, that's, that's made me look at salvation differently and, and a process um, it's, it's difficult because I don't think you can ever get away from the fundamentalist root idea because that was the way I was, was socialized. Um, you know, right. It's social learning theory, you know, says that, you know, that's, that it, it's embedded in you. It, you, you learn from that. And so there's always moments where you feel like, I was talking with Kevin Garcia about this. It was like, there's always moments where you feel like, am I doing the right thing? Like, am I, am, am I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Because there's so much of that, right? And admittedly, they oh, you have to do these certain things to be saved. You have to be, um, yeah, you have to do your devotionals. I don't do the typical Christianese life of what it would be prescribed to be, right? It's like, I don't wake up early in the morning. I hate mornings. I'm a night person. So I don't wake up early in the morning and do devotionals and do my quiet time. I don't knock anybody who does. That's just not me. And it took a long time for me to get to that place to be able to admit that because, again, that was what I was shown. This is the only way to interpret God. And I think in this age of information, this age of technology, this age in the era of Trump, I think that we're seeing a lot of that. And that's causing a lot of disruption. I also believe that we're moving from an era where you were prescribed or all of us were prescribed a method on how to fill in the blank, how to be successful, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be blah, 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 right? And we're no longer, it's, it's like what I like to call the Tony Robbins era, right? You know, Tony Robbins, was, you don't know, you know, he was like a motivational speaker. Well, he still is a motivational speaker, still making millions. But that was a previous generation. This generation, particularly those born, and really those born after like 2003, uh, they don't care about that stuff. They could care less about answers and, you know, these pathways to this. I mean, it's being asked right now, do I really need to go to college when there's YouTube? I mean, that's a serious question, right? Because it's like, as somebody who used to build homes for a living long, many moons ago, right? Um, gosh, I wish YouTube was around, right? Because I could have figured a lot of things out <laughs> without having to go up to, I was living in California, I had to go up to Sacramento and take the contractor's test, like, now, don't get me wrong, there's something about being certified. There's something about that piece of paper that says, yes, you have this degree. 
but this new generation is are asking those questions like why as opposed to school being this uplifting thing and a way for me to move from one right why can't i just go on youtube and learn this and go do it myself or become an influencer myself on this and so I think the same thing with salvation. I think we have to ask those questions. Like, what does that really look like? And and I don't necessarily have an answer for that. That's the thing. I don't have an answer for that. Um, and so we're in that era. We're in that era of what is truth? What is reality? What is, uh, uh, what, do, what, what still sounds good theologically? Um, and we're seeing that fight play out. There's, it's, it's like cold and hot air mass moving in, and, and, and you have a big storm because those two bodies of air are fighting it out. And we're seeing that right now. Um, I think, you know, we were talking before, I think, you know, there, there, it's stuff where we've always been, but now it's just ruptured. It's like you've had a, a wart, and you didn't really want to deal with it, and you, you try to put cover up on it, you try to put a Band-Aid on it, you try to put all these things on it, but now it's like it's just busted. And now the pus and the blood and the nasty smell is just out. It's always been there. And you've had little eruptions, we've had little things over here, but now it's like you cannot look away anymore. And we have to make that decision. Are we as a society going to deal with these things? It's like, you know, the issue of gun control. It's like, you can ban all the guns. That's not going to still stop what is happening. You can impeach Trump. It's not going to stop what's happening. So I think that's the harder work. And so for me, salvation is much harder than just the singularity of an event. More so, it is a process and the hard work of becoming a better person through therapy, through self-realization, through self-consciousness, through the partners and the peoples that you have in your inner circle who help you get better. And that's a really painful, messy process, I think. Um, it's not an easy thing to do um, and to just say, oh, I'm saved and that's that. And I think that's the evangelical world, uh, which I, I, don't, I don't think evangelicalism is, is going to survive this particular storm. That's just my own prediction on that. It'll be a miracle if, if, if Christianity in general survives, but I think what comes out on the other end will be a completely different understanding of what Christianity is. And I think that once we start to look at and get out of the colonization of what we see as sacred scripture and get back into, okay, what were the disciples really trying to do? Um, I'm not a Pauline fan. Uh, 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 like, why did he get all these books and why weren't like, if we're going to use that line and measurement of, like, oh, okay, people who walk with God are like, well, then if we're going to have to open that door up to anybody who had visions, anybody who had uh, some kind of dream, anybody who had some kind of spiritual encounter, uh, some kind of pneumatic engagement, right? Um, so I'm not a big fan necessarily of Paul, so I don't necessarily prescribe to Pauline theology. I'm more of, let me look at the Gospels, let me look at the folks who were walking with Jesus, who knew that cat, right? As a researcher... I want to go to primary evidence, not somebody who has some vision. A lot of people have visions. That's great. But I'm looking for people who actually walk with Jesus and were like there in the midst, knew Judas, hung out with Judas, right? Like knew Judas when he was a kid and all that stuff, right? So those are the cats I pay attention to. And I try to listen and see what the narrative of Christ is in that process. Um, I also think that, you know, when you start involving science and all of this stuff like that, I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of quantum theology that we haven't necessarily begun to undertake, right? Um, I am, I'm just going to sound crazy, but I am, I, 
I believe that there has been life on other planets for a long time, but I think that the knowledge of that would disrupt society in such a way because then I don't know if we're really willing to deal with a second Genesis story or a third or a fourth or a hundredth Genesis story because then that would unwind the fabric of our theological imagination of what we think heaven should be, right? And what we think and who we think God should be in that um, space. Um, it'll be interesting when the James Webb telescope goes up uh, in here in 2020. It's a telescope designed uh, to pick out uh, atmospheric gases in um, planets, particularly a lot of the exoplanets um, that exist, particularly the ones that are closer to us. Uh, I think about Alpha Centauri uh, and the Cygnus constellation. You know, we've found all these planets that are out there uh, that are Earth size. And so this, the James Webb telescope will actually be able to detect. Uh, life on on that planet, It'll be, it'll be organisms and whatnot. I mean, and and that's it's already here. I mean, it's already in our in our in our solar system. But again, NASA, right? As I say, NASA never a straight answer. That's really what NASA stands for, right? There's never there's never a straight answer. So I think we have to begin to ask ourselves, what does God look like in that space? Um, and 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 that's good. I think that's going to present a lot of you know new realities, right? Um, um, I think the evidence is there that you know there was uh, was life on on Mars, previous life. Um, I think we have to ask ourselves as, as as a society, as a species, like what are we, where are we going to go with this, right? In the history of the United States, there's been maybe 12 years of so-called peace. The rest of us, we've been at war, we've been fighting something. Um, we're on the brink of that now. Um, internally, I'm not talking about even stuff with Iran and Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. I'm talking about internally. Um, so, what does salvation look like in that space? I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know what the afterlife looks like, right? Because I haven't met anybody who's been dead for a couple of days, not a minutes. <laughs> like days. I want somebody who's been dead like five days to come back and tell me, all right, this is what happened. <laughs> right? Um, so I don't know. Those are some of the things. Those are my thoughts and musings. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm working on a book on, on looking at God through an astrophysics and, and, and astronomy lens and really begin to think, you know, on the scale, the Kardashev scale of, you know, uh, societies and whatnot. You know, there's four types of societies. There's type ones that, that, that have been able to harness the energy from their planet and they are able to consume all that energy and make them put, turn that into, you know, technological, you know, um, forward, you know, technological uh, um, advancements. There you go. Uh, type two, uh, those who could be able to harness all the energy from their sun. Uh, people refer to this like what's called a Dyson sphere, which is essentially huge solar panels that are surrounding the, um, the, the sun. And then they beam that energy back to whatever societies or civilizations within that solar system. Um, I mean, that would take stuff that we don't even have, right? That our mind, I mean, the smallest piece, the most minute piece would be essentially uh, the size of the distance between the moon and the, the earth, which is about 250,000 miles. I mean, so if you can imagine, that's the smallest piece on there, the most simplest piece. That would be something. Type three are those who've been able to harness the energy within their own solar system. And golly, by type four, well, that's God itself, right? It's like that is who is able to create life when, you know, the messing with DNA. Um, so, I mean, those are all the questions that I ask myself when I start to look at this. And this has been something I've been looking at for about the last decade and trying to keep up with the math and understand some of these kind of mind blowing um, things, particularly when you get into quantum theory. But it's like 
sacred text supports all of that. When we burn away all the colonialistic, oh, you can only look at it this way. It's like, no, I mean, the Holy Spirit is just, it's just, it's quantum mechanics to be in two places at one time, to have two objects exist in the same space uh, that are involving, you know, the same types of matter or different types of matter. I mean, that's, that could be the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, when you think about quantum matter, when you think about dark matter, um, that encompasses most of our, our space and the fact that magnetism is what holds us together. There's more space in between us right now in this room. So if God is somebody who's figured out how to work that, yeah, of course they can pass through walls. Of course you have manifestations of spirits and ghosts and all that. So I think for me, the question of salvation in that sense is much broader, right, than just being saved and going up on some cloud and playing harps and playing, you know, music or whatever, the flute. Um, I, for me, it's much broader than that. So uh, those are the things that I wrestle with. And I don't know, I don't have an answer, I, uh, a complete answer. And I think that drives some people insane, right? I mean, that's the problem with my last book, because I didn't give people answers. And, you know, and consequently, it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. I mean, it doesn't, people don't want a book that was like, oh, man, I just don't, you know, I don't want you just to ring the alarm. What do we do? What do we do? I don't think most of us know what to do. Even the people who say they know what to do, they don't know what to do. <laughs> they don't know what to do. It's like I keep seeing these books coming out from Christian publishers talking about, you know, this is this is an age Christianity in the age of doubt and reason. This is what you got to do. No, you don't know that. You don't know that, especially when your sample size hasn't even involved any ethnic minority whatsoever. So <sighs> I take issue with all that. And so... Back to the original question. I think there's just there's a lot involved with that. And when again, when you start to involve aspects of applied science um, in metaphysics, it, it it takes things to a different level, right? Um, and and it, it it begs the question: What are we fighting for, right? What are we what what are we pushing up against? Because as humans, it seems like we you know as a species, it seems like we need something to fight against. And I guess as, as a black man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted of fighting. It's like, you got to fight white supremacy. You got to fight white ignorance. Then you get into liberal spaces. Then you got to fight uh, a white liberalism. And then you get into white liberalism. And you got to fight, you know, microaggressions. And it's just like, oh, God. Let me just go water my grass and, you know, plant some certified sod seeds and just watch it grow. That, for me, is part of salvation, you know, is, is, is having my mind straight, you know, being able to take medication because some scientists and chemists somewhere figured out that, oh, the chemicals involved in Zoloft will help depression and anxiety and, 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 and it won't take it completely away, but it will at least level it. So it takes that edge off, right? That for me is salvation. You know, that for me is watching these pets act crazy. That for me is salvation. Being with my wife, being with my kid, you know, having her. These are discussions that her and I have all the time. I wasn't having these discussions at age 12. I mean, good night. You know, that for me is salvation. Going to a Cubs game, that for me is part of salvation in that process and that journey. Um, and those are things that, again, go beyond the tangibilistic, uh, you know, evangelical outcomes of you have to do this and you have to do that. So for me, the spiritual and the nomos, the, the, the ontological process of, of being with God, um, is a daily thing, not just a moment, right? I think that's for me, goes back to my work, sacred, secular, and profane. It's like, it's, it's easy to be sacred, but where do we live in the other realms of the profane and the secular? And that for me is where I find God much stronger than in the sacred. Uh, so those, that's, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with salvation. 
has been The Podluck. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you click subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes as they continue to come out. We're only in week three of the regular season, y'all. There's so much more to come. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to leave a rating or even better, write a quick review. This helps the podluck be more visible to other people and helps other people find out about it and tune in as well. To support the podluck, please visit our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to a Slack channel to discuss this and other episodes with people who are wrestling through this question of what it means to be saved as well. Um, And for a little bit more, uh, I'll send you a sticker or some other goodies at the end of the season. Join the conversation online or share on social media using at Podluck Podcast for Twitter or at the Podluck Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Megan Westra and I have been your host. Join us next week as we dish up our next round of